The Detroit Tigers wrap up their final weekend of baseball with a series victory over the Minnesota Twins. Also, the final series at Comerica Park for this season as the season winds down. We're going to talk about it today on Locked on Tigers. You are Locked on Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Tigers. I'm, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Monday, October 3rd, 2022. Thank you for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every single day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. Okay, so the Detroit Tigers win a weekend series against the Minnesota Twins. Always good to beat the Twins. Always feel really good about it. Um, this was the last home series of the 2022 season. The last home game of the 2022 season was on Sunday in a victory over Minnesota. Obviously, the Detroit Tigers will end 2022 with a 46. That's wrong. They won't end with 46. They will end with a 36 and 46 record rather at home. 36 and 46, the road record, home road. Can I talk? How about that, dude? How would I actually speak? That would be cool. A 36 and 46 record at home. There you go. Golly. Not sure why that was that difficult, but there you go. There, there's your stats that took me four tries to say. So 36 and 46 record at home in Comerica Park this year. A lot of, uh, I guess we'll call it controversy surrounding the uh, the confines of Comerica Park and dead center field, how deep it is. Here's the thing. It got a, a little better. It not, I mean, marginally, like not, not, well, a small margin, I should say. Not very much, but there was a point in this season where the home batting statistics for the Detroit Tigers they were not good and because no offensive stat for the Tigers this whole year has ever really been good so it, it wasn't great but it was the road splits I want to say like a little after halfway through the season where we were looking like this is one of the worst offenses we've ever seen and this is why they had one of the worst road offenses in, in recent memory. And again, salvaged a little bit of it when it didn't really matter at the end of the season. We're not going to lose 100 games. What do you do? But a lot of the damage, well, it's not like they were good at home, though. I'm not trying to convince you that, oh, they were a great team offensively at home, and it's just the road that sucked. It's just they were both bad. But the road offensive splits were actually, for, for a vast majority of the season, were worse than the numbers at Comerica Park. Now again, it doesn't mean the numbers at Comerica Park were good. I understand everybody's gripe. Uh, I, I said this a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again. I'm not 
extremely passionate about the moving in of the fences in Comerica Park. I'm not against it. There's a difference between those two things. And I to I, I tried to explain that to some people when I made this comment, whatever it was, three, four weeks ago now. But just because I am not bashing my fist on the table, screaming, making, you know, signs and, and whatever, pitchfork about moving in the fences and I'm not like a huge vocalist of, oh, this needs to happen. I would be very fine if they didn't move the fences in. That being said, I think that is what I, w- I would rather them move the fences in a little bit. I don't want all the fences moved in. I don't want, and we saw it a couple times this weekend as well, just a nice little way to end the season, stir the pot of the fan base, have some Riley Green 408-foot flyouts, you know, let, let's uh, let's give everybody one last hurrah of, of Comerica Park and all of its beauty for 2022. But so I, I don't want, need everything to get moved in. I don't need left and right field should stay. Left and right field aren't that deep. People act like every single time there is a fly ball to like even remotely close to the warning track, like 9,000 people on Twitter go, Oh, you just got Comerica. Ha ha. Like sucks to suck. Or if it's a tiger, it's like, screw this ballpark. We just got Comerica. It's like a 290 foot fly out to let the left field foul pole. And people are like losing their minds. Like I, I don't need the left and right field. I don't want the left and right field. I don't need any of this. in. I don't want the left and right field walls to get moved because honestly, they're not that deep. Like, it, they're, they're not even the deepest in our division. Uh, they're, there's a lot of fields that have deeper left and right field walls. The thing that makes Comerica so ridiculous is dead center, as we all know. It's not news to anybody. And within that, I also don't want it to be 400 feet. I don't want, I don't want the, the wall in the bushes, right? Right underneath the camera well, that wall with the 420 marker on it. I don't need that coming in, you know, 20, 25 feet. I, I don't want it to be like that either. Um, but I think a nice starting point and a nice compromise would just be moving it in five to 10 feet. Because with all that said, I do think that doing that is probably the right thing to do. You don't have to go ahead and move everything in five to 10 feet. You don't have to change anything else. Just that one wall in the back that goes straight across right underneath the camera well, bring that in five to 10 feet. And I think you'd have a lot more happy people. Um, and, and I also think it is objectively crazy that we have like 422 foot flyouts in our ballpark. That is wild. Now, I think it's cool. I think that it, it, it's cool, not necessarily the 422-foot ones, but I do think it's cool that we have a ballpark that is unique in its size. I enjoy that. I like that. Some people call me an old head, whatever. I don't care. I enjoy it. I like the fact that we are unique in that sense. But 422-foot flyouts and whatnot is a little ridiculous. It's a little ridiculous. So, I mean, if, if you just had that back wall at 410, right, then you would still have what it would be like 415 or whatever to where the left field wall 
and and that new brought in dead center wall would meet, right? Like that would still be the deepest part of the park and it would still be very deep and deeper than most. Like you could hold on to a little bit of the, oh, we're unique in the sense that, you know, we're a pitcher's park and you you have to really crush the ball to, to get it out of here in, in dead center field and whatnot. You could still maintain that while also not having like your star rookie consistently have 415, 420 foot flyouts and, you know, get Miguel Cabrera a couple more home runs in his final season next year and whatnot. I think that's a nice compromise for me personally. That's, I think, the direction they should head. And honestly, I think that's the direction they will head. Maybe not next season, but I think relatively soon here in the next couple of years, we're going to see that because I don't think they want to make dramatic changes either. But I do think that enough people are starting to raise heck about it where they're going to have to do something or else people are going to lose their minds. So I just wanted to start with that. Uh, one final hurrah to Comerica Park in the 2022 season. Like I said, a 36 and 46 record at home, 10 games under 500. Not, uh, you know, not the, the the worst thing in the world. You win five of those games. You're at a you're at a 500 record, right? I mean, that that you lost rather, uh, you know. Considering how catastrophic the season was, I don't think that that is the biggest thing, which is why I'm not like super passionate about the the dimensions of Comerica because like there's 87 reasons ahead of Comerica Park dimensions and home record, home win loss record uh, as to why the Tigers are struggling. You know what I mean? So a lot of things that are that are more important and of a higher priority to me this offseason than that. That's all. So one last hurrah. Uh, we did take a series. We will talk about the series in its entirety. Uh, I, I just, I guess I, I don't, I didn't really plan on starting with like dimensions of Comerica, but it comes up every time anybody hits a deep fly ball and it was the last one. And we had a few this weekend. So I just thought it was timely. Okay. So let's get into the series itself, Tigers take two of three from Minnesota. But first, I got to tell you all about our friends over at Built Bar. If you haven't tried the Built Bar Puffs yet, you're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. It's the delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Let me introduce you to your new favorite cookie dough chunk puffs. They have a light, chewy texture, real cookie dough. And of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it. Plus, it's actually healthy for you. Cookie dough chunk puffs are only 160 calories and have a whopping 15 grams of protein in them. 15. Run to Built.com to snag a box for you and the family. It will be the perfect treat. Or you can find a really good hiding place and hoard them all for yourself. That's what I do. Like all Built Bars, the new cookie dough chunk puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means they're healthy and tasty. Chocolate-covered cookie dough with a light, fluffy texture. They're so good. They actually sent the hosts some to try just because they, they want us to try, you know, the product that we're, we're talking about on air. They are unbelievable. They're, they really are incredible. And I know I've, I've said that. They have a lot of flavors coming out all the time, honestly. So you got to keep your eye on Built.com. But they, they really are amazing and i scarf them down the few that i have left every morning uh they they are amazing so go to built.com right now use promo code lock 15 and get 15 percent off 
of your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back here. Segment two of Locked On Tigers. So the Tigers take two of three from Minnesota. Lost game one, seven and nothing. Followed up with a three to two victory uh, on Saturday and a two to five victory on Sunday. Really fun stuff. You know, fun stuff. I think that, how do I want to cover this? I think we'll start with just game one and just kind of get that almost out of the way. And then we will go on to uh, to games two and three and kind of talk about them more as a whole. So game one was just, you know, seven, nothing lost. Cody Clemens made another appearance. Uh, there was a stat by, I think it was Woodward Tigers. I think it was Rahelio and Chris Brown where the innings pitched on the year by like Casey Mize and Cody Clemens are like actually kind of close to each other, which is really sad, but it's unfortunately true because a of the, of the Casey Mize injury, but Cody Clemens has pitched like quite a few times, which is really embarrassing and sad. And for as much as we talk about the pitching has really taken strides in the right direction. And there's a lot of good like pitching depth and Chris Fetter has really gotten a lot out of a lot of these guys. And that's all true. That doesn't mean that it comes without getting just punched in the jaw every once in a while, because you can only hold on to kind of this taped together pitching core that we have right now for so long, uh, honestly, before stuff like this happens. And that's why Cody Clemens has like nine or 10 innings pitched on the season. Um, and that's not even, you know, Harold Castro has several appearances on the year too. So, um, yeah, Tyler Alexander started this one, five innings, five hits, three and runs, four walks, six strikeouts. The, the thing that jumped off the page at me that I thought was kind of weird was the fact that he had like good swing and miss stuff. He had 14 whiffs. That's like a really high number for him. And six strikeouts is a really high number for him. And a 30% CSW percentage is a really high number for him. It's a really high number for a lot of people on this team. Um, it's just when it was hit, it was hit very hard. Uh, an average exit velocity and 90 pitches, 13 balls put in play, average exit velocity of 92 miles an hour. A lot of balls hit over 100. Uh, it, it was really just like when he missed, he missed really bad in the zone. And he had four walks too. So like when he missed, he was missing out of the zone as well. Like that's, that's a lot of walks. Um, but it, it was just baseball is such a weird sport. Like you can have great swing and miss stuff. Like some of the best swing and miss stuff you've had in, in, in uh, honestly a while. You can put up more strikeouts or strikeout batters at a higher clip than you have been all season but still have a pretty subpar start just because you are walking a lot of batters in the same breath and you are also giving up a lot of hard contact. It's just a weird sport. It's a weird sport, and that's why we love it. But, uh, you know, as far as the future of Tyler Alexander, I've said it a million times. Uh, people always love to bring up Tyler Alexander when, when I talk. It, it stems from last year, if you've been listening to the show for a while. 
I don't know, people were all up in arms because I uh, said that he shouldn't be uh, an everyday starter. He shouldn't be in the starting rotation on this team if we're serious about competing. And I really do, genuinely, and I say this every time, think that his role were being like the spot starter if somebody gets hurt or needs, uh, again, just a spot start slash long reliever. He can excel at that role and bring a lot of value to this ball club. Um, but it, it's just a lack of consistency on a start-to-start basis. And that's why I still believe what I believe about Tyler Alexander. So ne- this offseason is going to be really intriguing for him, what role they might carve out when they look at starting pitchers, who are they going to bring in, who, I mean, you know, the Joey Wentz's of the world, who we'll talk about later. Like, th- there's a lot of starting pitchers on this team that have a big question mark next to their name in, in terms of what role they're going to have next year. And the whole starting rotation really outside of what Matt Manning and Eduardo Rodriguez is basically a big question mark at the present moment for opening day. So a very, very intriguing offseason for him. Uh, Miguel Diaz pitched in this one. I actually thought he looked pretty solid. Um, you know, the stuff, he threw a lot of change-ups and he wasn't really fooling anybody with, with his pitches. He was getting hit decently hard as well. Uh, but I, I thought the command was okay. And he didn't actually give up any hits. You know, he had the walk, obviously. Um, and then got a strikeout in there too. So I, I didn't think it was that bad of a performance. You know, was kind of amped up. His velocity was kind of all over the place. I'm sure that that is something that with more consistent appearances maybe would be a little different but what are you gonna do I mean it's just when you get to this point of the season it's so difficult to for me personally maybe this is just a me problem and this is a fault of mine but it's so hard to give like deep analysis on some of these dudes when you know like like not gonna be on the 40 man next spring man like I you know what I mean like it's tough with with four games left five games left be like oh like let's like Daniel Norris this weekend. I, I use him as an example a lot, but he's another one. Like had a really solid weekend. And honest, I know he didn't pitch on Friday. We're kind of skipping ahead here. He pitched on Saturday, but has had a really solid like two-week stretch, two-and-a-half-week stretch. It just it, it doesn't like matter that much to me because I know he's not going to be on the major league roster or probably even on the 40-man roster in in March of next year. So like it, it's hard for me to be like, oh, like this is what made him so good. This is like super cool. Look at this pitch and look at how he set him up here and whatnot. When it's like you know, he pitched well. Good for him. I hope he gets a job. I hope he he's pitching his way into getting a job somewhere, even if it's with us and I'm wrong. Sure. Awesome. It's it's just, you know, probably not. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Andrew Chafin pitched in this one, gave up a run. Will Vest struggled with command, gave up a run. And that's pretty much it. Offensively, nothing. Harold Castro had a couple of hits. That's about it. That's it. There you go. There's your offensive breakdown. It was a really brutal game offensively. Uh, and the reason why is because Joe Ryan only throws fastballs and this team can't hit fastballs. So there you go. Really easy stuff, honestly. Not rocket science. This team cannot hit fastballs down the middle. We've said it a million times. You can go back and rewatch the last time we faced Joe Ryan. That episode's somewhere out on the internet. You can go rewatch that. Guess what? I said the same thing I'm about to say to you now. Team can't hit fastballs right down the middle. Joe Ryan throws like 60 to 70% four-seam fastballs. 
It's over before it even starts. It's over. We're not hitting him. Doesn't even matter if his command's good or bad. He had 10 whiffs on his four-seam fastball. That goes 92 miles an hour. His 92-mile-an-hour four-seam fastball that he threw 60% of the time had 10 whiffs. Average exit velocity of 78.9 miles an hour barreled once. It is what it is. We're at that point in the season. We've been at that point in the season for like three months. It is what it is, man. All right, let's get into the final two games. We did win. Not all negative. We did win two games. We did win the series. Final series of the year against Minnesota. We'll get to that right after this. All right, everybody. Welcome back here. Third and final segment of Locked on Tigers. I am, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. So looking at the two victories the Detroit Tigers had, one was started by Drew Hutchinson. Again, I'm sorry. I don't think you're coming here for like your deep dive on on Drew Hutchinson starts at this point. Drew Hutchinson. I, I, I was told recently that I was putting an N in Drew Hutchinson that does not exist when I say it, even though I've wrote it a million times and know that there's no N there. Apparently, when I've been saying it out loud, I've been saying it incorrectly. So I like to point out when I screw up too, which is plenty of times. I'm not going to hide from that. So I apologize for (laughs) saying it phonetically wrong. Drew Hutchison, uh, I'm not going to do a deep dive on his outing. uh, But at the end of the day, what are you always in? You're always in a Drew Hutchison start. Always. Four and a third, seven hits, but only two earned runs, two walks, and five strikeouts as well. It's also worth noting this. Well, we'll get to that at the end. Minnesota Twins, really disastrous year, to be honest with you, for that organization as well as the Detroit Tigers. So three to two victory on Saturday and then five to two victory on Sunday. There's only two big things offensively I want to talk about in those two games. And that is Spencer Torkelson, Victor Reyes, very opposite ends of the spectrum. there. very different topics of conversation, but two that I want to have. Let's start with Torque. Um, it's not good right now. It's not good. And I think he'd tell you the same thing. He's really he's really struggling out there lately. And it really just seemed like he was finally turning a corner and he was finally able to just like not even do anything crazy, just take advantage of mistakes. That's all he was doing when he first came up, right? When he first got recalled, rather, when he first came up for the second time. That was it. All it was was, okay, well, the balls that are hung right down the middle or fastballs that are right down the middle, he's actually hitting into the outfield and getting hits on most of them. Hitting the ball decently hard. Sure. And now that all is back to how it was in his first stint in the majors, which is just really not able to hit anything. Being very passive, uh, trying to work counts. It's not working out very well. He's kind of backing himself into a corner where he's working the count quote unquote, but then he's behind in the count because he's taking too many pitches and then he has to settle for whatever they throw him on two strikes or they do throw mistake pitches. They do throw fastballs right down the middle on accident. They do hang curveballs that are, you know, and if you were to divide the strike zone into nine different squares in the ninths, 
the one right down the middle. <laughs> that one. Got seen a lot of pitches there lately. Not doing a whole lot with them. And that is why I was so hesitant, and we all are so hesitant when he started turning the corner when he first came back up. We were all, you know, I didn't want to be like, oh, this is like it's over. He's finally here. We talked about how he was hitting well because he objectively was, but we kind of hindered expectations for the future just because of that. Because we're now we're right back where we started. Only got four games left. I think the offseason is much needed for him. I think it'll be good for him. Hopefully he'll get on a hitting program and uh, can figure some stuff out. But really, really, obviously disappointing season for Spencer Torgelson. And it looks like it's going to be capped off by a, uh, a pretty slow end to, a, like I said, not very great year as a whole as is. So unfortunate, um, but I am certainly not doing the whole, oh my goodness, he's a bust and he's never going to be good. And you shouldn't either. I don't think. I'm never going to tell someone how to be a fan. If you want to give up on a number one overall pick a year into their career, be my guest. But uh, I think, I I don't know. I think that's a a little ridiculous. And even if you end up being right, it's not going to be because you planted your flag a year in. Like, I I just, I don't think that that is, um, the Tigers certainly aren't. So I'm not going to either. Uh, He he will get plenty of at-bats next season. And we wish the best for him, but uh, definitely a disappointing end to a disappointing season for Spencer Torkelson. Victor Reyes on the opposite side. This dude hits, man. And like his, his it's so relative because like his offensive numbers, it's not like he's hitting like crazy. He has like a 650 OPS. But on this team, that might as well be Barry Bonds's, you know, 2002. Like it, this is just. It, oh man, this season. Okay, we got to focus. I'm not going to go on another down the rabbit hole of what this season has been. My point is, Victor Reyes, when it comes to being a fourth outfielder, you should absolutely not under any circumstance go into opening day, go into spring training, go into camp, go into pitchers and catchers reporting next season with Victor Reyes slotted in to be an everyday starter for this team. That being said, If you were to hold on to one of these kind of extra fourth outfielder type players, Victor Reyes might be the choice. Not saying he is, but he might be the choice. And I think that he can still kind of thrive at a fourth outfielder role for a decent baseball team. Again, should not be the everyday starter anywhere he goes, but... He's provided some decent ABs, um, got good tools, fast, covers ground. Not not going to say he's a great defender by any stretch, but covers a lot of ground at least because he's athletic. I don't know. He's another one I got circled, much like like 15 to 20 other dudes. He's, he's another one I have circled on the 40-man roster to see what happens with him this offseason. Um, I am expecting a lot. And I think a lot of people are. I think if you look at all of the talking heads of the organization and all the beat writers around, I think most people are kind of like, hey, this could blow the heck up. 
So we'll see what happens. But just something that that was obviously very apparent this weekend. Not like he, you know, exploded or anything, but had a nice hit there on, uh, what was that, on Sunday. So just shout out Victor Reyes. Him and I have had a very roller coaster of a relationship over his tenure in Detroit. Uh, not due to him, due to his random diehard fans he has for some reason um, that believe that he is the truth. So that that is where a lot a lot of my headbutting with Victor Reyes has come more of his uh, of his diehard fan base that he has than anything else. But regardless, we'll certainly be in the running for even if it's not fourth outfielder, even if it's just like an organizational depth type of thing where he's like kicked off the forty man and then maybe we like try to bring him back on. I don't know, but someone to keep an eye out for for sure. Pitching-wise, we already talked about Hutchison. It feels so natural to put an N there when I say it. I don't know why. Hutchison. Whatever. Joey Wentz, the only other person I want to talk about really on this episode. He started on Sunday, four and two-thirds, two hits, two runs. Neither of them earned four walks and four strikeouts. So the thing about Wentz is this well the thing about this outing was he has a very fastball heavy outing in in this one he had a very fastball heavy outing but as a whole uh, I I really like his his pitch mix I like fastball cutter pitch mixes I I think that that can be really effective I like the change up added in there gives a third different point of view to a a pitch that's going to look straight coming out of the hand and then a curveball is obviously just a really nice classic breaking ball to kind of throw in with the other three pitches. I like it. I really like the pitch mix. We've seen him able to sequence it. Nine whiffs, not terrible for four and two-thirds innings. Now, 93 pitches, single-digit whiffs, not great. My nose is itching again. Unbelievable stuff. Um, so I think he has the tools to be pretty effective. Didn't get hit too terribly hard. Um but this was a very fastball-dominated outing, and the command was just not there. And this is the f- second outing in a row, th- or second outing in his last three outings at least. Honestly, really late, like the last month. I feel like he, he's had some, some struggles with command. Fastball command is going to be what he lives or dies by at this point in his career. He's going to really struggle a lot more with outings when he doesn't have fastball command. He's going to thrive when he does because it sets up three of his four pitches, to be honest, right? Like curveball, cutter, four-seam fastball. If the four-seam fastball is is located well, then the other two pitches can play off it perfectly just because of how they're designed. So really, a uh, and we saw, again, saw signs of it. Four Ks and four and two-thirds is not a bad number, but – uh, four walks, certainly not ideal, and you pile that on with a couple of hits as well. Just it, it was all command in this one, all command, and it wasn't very good and on Sunday. He will be optioned down to Toledo on Sunday night, and Brian Garcia will get recalled. Uh, we do have four games left against the Seattle Mariners. The Seattle Mariners, it's a great video. Um, and then one of them's a doubleheader. So Brian Garcia is getting called up to start one of these next four games. And Joey Wentz will head down, I would imagine, straight to Arizona. 
because Joey Wentz, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, will be a part of the Arizona Fall League. So that'll be cool. Tigers, we, we talked about in an episode, I, I want to say a week or two ago, pretty lethal Arizona Fall League. Uh, lethal is probably super dramatic, but uh, decent names within the organization participating in the Arizona Fall League. Joey Wentz being one of the highlights. Him and uh, Parker Meadows probably. Oh, Colt Keith, I think, is actually in there if he's healthy. So we have, we have a decent haul and, and a decent amount of uh, pretty higher profile dudes within the Tigers organization, at least going to Arizona for the fall league. So he will probably start prepping for that or just head straight there because that starts pretty soon after the regular season ends. And yeah, Brian Garcia will start one of these next four games. There you go. Minnesota Twins, disappointing season for them. Carlos Correa shops at Dior. Dior, Dior, right? Well, uh, we'll see what happens with him this offseason. I know everybody wants Correa to Comerica Part 2 and to move Javi to second base and whatnot. Obviously, that would be incredible, but I'm not going to hold my breath for that. I, uh, Yeah, that's a see-it-to-believe-it type of thing. I'm definitely not going to push that narrative onto uh, these my, my loyal listeners here. Not going to get your hopes up with that. Um, honestly, nonsense. But... Maybe slave, save like a sliver of hope. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to put it in the back of my head. Be like, no, no, that's hilarious, dude. Never going to happen. And then like when I go to bed at night, I'm like, but what if? Thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every single day. Free and available wherever you get your podcast. Now make your second listen to Locked On MLB podcast. MLB expert Paul Francis Sullivan brings humor, passion, and his unique perspective on every team and the biggest stories from around the league. Follow the number one daily league-wide podcast, Locked on MLB, on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's all I got for you. We'll be back tomorrow uh, recapping a game, game one against Seattle. Last series of the year. Limping to the finish line here. Actually got quite a few wins under our belt during the season, finishing kind of strong as a team. So we'll see if that has any effect on the offseason. Spoiler alert, I don't think it will. Peace of love, going to therapy's dope. And uh, I'll catch y'all tomorrow, baby. Almost done. Almost done. Go Tigers.